Alistair and I are going to lay out and, and launch what I think might be a bit of a season about the kingdom of God for us as a family. And again, you test that. I don't want to lead your spiritual life, you know what I mean? I, but I think it is important that you kind of watch what happens here and themes that begin to come out in various places um, because the Lord is usually teaching generally the whole body of Christ in certain, certain subjects. And so Nostra and I were visiting the other day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a two- to three-minute thing, and then Nostra will be ready to jump, and then I'm going to come back and uh, finish. But introduction to the gospel of the kingdom. Um, G, John the Baptist came, Matthew 3, 2. His primary message, the forerunner was, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus then begins his ministry after baptism. Temptation says, from this time on, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, Mark will write it like this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the euangelion of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom, the basilea of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so there is how, I showed you how Matthew wrote it, but Mark writes it like that, but it's the same deal. The gospel of the kingdom, that's what Jesus proclaimed. And we have lived in evangelical worlds in a culture of salvation. I'm pro-salvation, but salvation is the entryway into the message that Jesus brought, which was the gospel of the kingdom. It was the, it was the euangelion of the basilea. It was the good news of the dynamic rule. That's what basilea means, okay? It's that dynamic right to rule of God. So the word kingdom is used 119 times in the Gospels, all four Gospels using the word. As a comparison, the word church is used three times, and all in Matthew. doesn't mean church is not important. It just means that kingdom is the dominant theme of our, of our, of our king. And so the point being that the kingdom of God was a, or is the, primary theme in ministry of Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom proclaimed to all nations, Matthew 24, 14, is going to trigger the end of the age. It said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the ethnos, not just uh, United Nations nations, but people groups, and then the end will come. The trigger of the end of the age is this gospel of the kingdom, this euangelion of the basalia, <laughs> being manifest and faithfully proclaimed to every people group and tribe in the earth. So, it is really important that we know what the gospel of the kingdom is. And listen, as Nasser walks up here, um, I, I don't want to, we, sometimes we, we're doing sermons and we're making such a point, we're, we're, we're diminishing the importance of something else. I'm not dimin diminishing the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace. We love that. We both love that. But the gospel of the kingdom is more. And um, it's important that we Westerners understand what that is. And this brother has some insight in that. I do. I do. And it's funny, even in Matthew, if you just go a few verses past what, what you had on there, Matthew 4, um, 23, and it says, this is talking about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, get this, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So just keep that in the back of your brain. So let's, this is, this is the problem with the language that we have in the church is we've, we've had it for so long. It means something to us just based on, on what we associate with, with the Christian life now, whatever values we think you know, are, are most important to us. 
um, about uh, relationship with Jesus, um, and, and then the gospel becomes those things. And so it's not surprising when we put a lot of emphasis and focus, and we have for for quite a while now, at least in you know, like the evangelical streams of Christianity, on, on the point of the gospel is getting people saved um, here on earth so they can spend eternity in heaven someday. And then that, that's, that's the gospel, that's it. So if you're just you know, preaching people like turn or burn, um, that's, you're preaching the gospel. Um, and that would have made no sense at all uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, and I don't think that's the sense that, that Matthew means it. And, and actually, when, when Matthew and all four gospel writers are using this Greek word, euangelion, this isn't a new word. It's actually a word that has a ton of historical baggage to it. And, and most of it, actually, I would say from a Jewish perspective, not good. That's not a good word. You don't like that word. Um, and, and it really goes back um, about 300, 350 years um, before the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to this guy named Alexander the Great. How many of you have heard of Alexander? Quite a few people. Like, that's pretty impressive. 2,500 years later, we still know who he is. He must have been a great guy. Um, Alexander is famous because he was the first person to conquer what, what was basically all the known world uh, uh, in his day. And he did it at a really young age. He, he, and he conquered kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, absorbing them into this ever-expanding empire of Greece. And, and Alexander, as he did this, as he, as he came into each new territory, he, his messengers proclaimed out ahead of him, Alexander has come with a euangelion. And he didn't invent this word, but he was the first person to really press it and push it and use it in this way. And, and what euangelion means is good news, but this is the specific kind of good news that they were proclaiming as Alexander's empire was rolling over the whole face of the earth. This is your good news. There is a new king and a new kingdom. And you now have a choice to make. You're either in or out. And if you're out, this kingdom's gonna come anyway and it's just gonna roll over you. But if you're in, this is good news for you because Greece is here and we bring with us wonderful things that you've never heard before. But once you get a taste of them, you'll wonder how you ever lived without them. We're gonna bring you public health care, public education, entertainment. We're gonna put theaters in all of your cities, and sports. Oh, wait till you guys get a load of this. You'll be obsessed. These are the four pillars of Greek Hellenism. And Alexander said, this is the good news, guys. And there's, there's a spiritual dimension to this because what, what the Greeks figured out was is that for most of human history in their eyes and the rest of the nations, Mankind had been struggling and laboring under the heel of all these gods that were petty and, and often seemed very you know, capricious, wicked. 
jealous and it was hard to get their attention. And the Greeks said, why can't we be gods? Why can't we elevate man to a, to a level of godhood where we can rule the world, we can do things our way, we can take care of ourselves, we'll pay the gods lip service, we know how to keep them happy. You just bribe them with enough sacrifices and prayers and they stay out of your hair. And then we can get back to the business of improving humanity. And it was the birth of humanism. And that was Alexander's good news. You can all get a slice of the pie if you just come and join with me. And guess what? There's a reason why Alexander conquered all of the known world. This was a really attractive offer. This was wonderful news, really good news. This was the first really worldwide euangelion. And when he died at a young age, and his empire was divided up. Every, every great king, every, every would-be emperor was always walking in the shadow of Alexander the Great. Every one of them wanted to be Alexander, wanted to, to come. And so it's no surprise that when Rome finally rose to replace Greece, from the very first Caesar on to every Caesar ever since, all the way up to Augustus Caesar and at the time of the birth of Christ, every Caesar, when he came to power, said, guess what, send the heralds out, I have a new Euangelion, a new gospel. Good news, the old emperor is dead, long live the new emperor. And when Rome came, they said, Chris, I know Greece was good, but this is even better because now we're gonna bring you peace. This is the gospel of peace. That's what Rome preached. And the, Rome, the peace of Rome was, you submit to Rome and the lordship of Rome and the lordship of the Caesar who is viewed and called the son of God made flesh. That's what they called him, and all the statues and temples. And, it, and his arrival in your city was called the Advent. And when he came and visited your city, if there was a disaster, if, if there was brokenness in the city and the people, he would leave a great deposit of money, and then he would go away for a time. But then there was a parousia, there was a second coming, when the emperor, when the Caesar would return again to see what did you do with what I invested in you, and there would be a judgment. This was all the baggage wrapped up with Euangelion. And so, do you understand how subversive, how provocative it is when Jesus not only comes and says, repent for the kingdom is at hand, but now he says that this kingdom that I'm talking about, this is a new Euangelion. Guess what, guys? You need, the reason you need to repent is because there is a new kingdom breaking out, and it's now here and there's a new king, because you can't have a new kingdom without a new king. But what does this kingdom offer? And that's why I think what Matthew's getting at when he says, you know, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This, this kingdom is addressing the dimensions that Greece could never touch, that Rome could never touch. This is, is true and eternal good news. And unlike all the other gospels that were really false gospels that had been preached for hundreds of years up until this point, this king's not going anywhere. And even when they crucify him, he's getting right back up again. And even now, 2,000 years later, his euangelion stands he is still on his throne. He is still the king. His kingdom has not passed away. It will never pass away. It's the kingdoms of this world that are passing away. 
So there you go. Amen. Did you know that? Isn't that helpful? So when Jesus comes, he's lifting up this phrase that's got energy. Ecclesia for church existed before. You got to read the history of it. And he did it on purpose. And he's saying, here's the good news. A king is coming. A king is coming. And he's going to bring a rule that's going to be totalitarian. It really is. It's, going to take it's, it's amazing. And let me give you little whispers from heaven. No more sickness. No more demonic oppression. Satan is gone. Death is gone through the resurrection. He gave us pictures of what this rule would be like and asked us to repent or change our mind, to shift and turn, to begin to respond to this rule and this reign. And so we wanted to lay that out to you because when I say this, we are pro-salvation. This king, that that king would actually die for everybody, and it's an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting dominion. It's shocking how good the gospel is. But the gospel is not, again, just getting you saved and out of somewhere into somewhere. The gospel of the kingdom is that there's a kingdom hemorrhaging on planet earth right now. Daniel's going to call it a small little rock not cut out by human hands that becomes the largest mountain in the world. Or it's actually Nebuchadnezzar who sees that. And Daniel interprets it for him. And it's the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom's coming. So what we're announcing to the nations is, yes, a way to get free from their sins, but that's really so they can have entrance into and partnership in reigning in the kingdom that's coming. So the, we want to talk about this because we want some accuracy in our own life. And as we send missionaries everywhere, we're saying the atonement, Jesus died for your sins. Be redeemed. Yes, we're saying that. But it's not all we're saying. It's not all we're saying. We're telling people, families, cities, and nations of the earth, the king is coming. The king is coming. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There's a global government about to come and break darkness off the planet. And there's a new, pardon the language, sheriff in town. He's coming. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And so this, I'm, I'm reading multiple books by some people that are, are exploring this kind of deal. And they're talking about this culture of salvation has produced a ton of decisions for salvation and so little fruit in discipleship. 80%, uh, it's some number like that, resp that respond, uh, respond to, the, to the gospel of salvation. And then when you look at some of these people that respond, about 10 to 15% are actually having regular lives in the word, in holiness, in the MDL. And you've heard all those numbers. I don't need to give you. There's all kinds of different ways of metrics to look at that. But you got a ton of people saying, yes, I'll take out of hell. But not many saying, yes, I'll take a new sovereign king to run my life. That's a different decision. And it's really predicated on how we present this thing. And so thank God he meets us where we are. He meets you where you're the woman, woman bleeding. He meets her at, he sees a good God. But it's, but it's the entry point. If we come short in this, we're going to have a bunch of grouchy, selfish believers who are looking for their way. And really just want to broker a deal with Yahweh to get out of fire. And he's doing more than that. 
He wants to deal with really the poison that's making us miserable. And the poison is, the manifestation is sin. Sin leads to death. But that's coming out of you subversively becoming sovereign in your own life. That you're your own ruler is the problem. And so he came to dethrone you. (laughs) To dethrone the nations from ruling and reigning over their own lives. And so if this gospel comes, I know that doesn't sell. It's sometimes not attractive. It should be the most attractive. because It's better than good entertainment and better than great water systems. What Jesus is about to bring. And actually, our own selfishness is what's killing us. But he's wanting to press in and to bring this gospel to the kingdom. So I'm just going to touch the son of man thing. I'm not going to do that. I don't feel like I'm supposed to do that. I think there was heat on what. So, Nostra, would you come here? We're going to end this session together. I don't really know what that means. Okay. So grab that mic. <clears throat> and I, wanna, I do want to move into some, some lab time. I've got a couple things I want to minister in and we want to model. But I believe with all my heart. I'm going to make a statement. Then you make a statement and do whatever you want to do. Okay. Yeah. I believe with all my heart that the Lord, in, he's always been doing it. Forgive the exaggeration. That's what we do when we're up here. But he's restoring the gospel of the kingdom yes. into the mouths of the preachers in the earth. Yeah. He's restoring it. He's restoring fresh understanding. And it's going to hurt the population of Sunday mornings. But it's going to increase the glory of God all over the earth. Yeah. It really is. It's going to look like when this is restored, we're going backwards. We're not. Mm-hmm. We're actually going forward. It's actually better to have 12 loyal all in <laughs> than to have 12,000 who will leave when you say, eat my flesh, drink my blood. So impact is about to increase. Population go down just for a little bit, and then it's going to be great. But it's, I think, going to be connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know... It, this is, feels like preaching to the choir here because I know most of you all, you get this. You're, you're in with this. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you uh, look at how the gospel, and again, I'm talking about like the Bible word gospel, not how we sometimes use the word gospel, but how the gospel is, is articulated, expressed, and responded to both um, in the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but also as you look into the, you know, in, in the book of Acts, how, how you see it articulated in, in all of the epistles and so on. Uh, I don't, what I see is, is what we're talking about. What I see is an invitation for all people, all tribes, all languages, all nations to recognize and submit to the Lordship of this crucified and resurrected Jewish Messiah. Yes. That is the proclamation. And it's, you know, just absolute crazy talk. Right? I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine now knowing like what you know about this baggage around Evangelion? You know, when Paul is in Greece, where this whole thing started, and, and is, you know, preaching in Athens, like, you guys all need to understand, you're so smart, you Greeks. You've got, you, you're, you know, you covered all your bases with all these, these gods, known and unknown. And, 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 but let me tell you that the real God of all the earth, the one who's responsible for you even existing and even having a nation called Greece, who set your boundaries before, you know, you had any, you were anything. Uh, he, he's visited the planet. 
Um, he was a, a Jewish guy back in Judea that the Romans crucified, but now he's resurrected and he's alive forevermore. Mm. And, and if you'd be willing to submit now to his lordship and kingdom, resurrection is for you too. New life can, can happen for you too. And actually, you know, some of your philosophers, you know, think about what it would be like to actually know whatever the higher power is. Like, would that even be possible? And could you comprehend them? Or, or the higher power or powers, are they too transcendent, right? Well, well this, this God is, is so personal, like he became a man. Mm. And that implies something. Yes. That implies relationship, intimacy. And it's something that people of, of all, all tribes and nations have, have struggled to believe. And I think it's because... This isn't just good news, it's the most outrageously amazing news on the planet. Uh, I, I recently did a study uh, uh, through Exodus um, and reflecting on Passover, and I was shocked because I noticed a detail in that story. I've read Exodus so many times, I'm sure many of you have too, and, and I've never noticed this before, that the first time that, that Moses... Um, confronts Pharaoh, like I always just had it in my head, and maybe it's because of the movies, whatever, like he just goes in, let my people go, and it's like, no, and then plagues, you know, all of this. But actually, the, the first time he pitches it to Pharaoh, what he actually says is, uh, hey, um, our, our God, Yahweh, by the way, we're on a first name basis with him, um, he really wants his people, his people, Israel, uh, to come out into the wilderness and have a party with him. We're just going to celebrate, and then we'll come back afterwards. That's what he actually says, which is just, like, weird. Like, if you know the whole Exodus story, like, is Moses lying? Like, what, what is he doing? Like, why is he saying that? Why doesn't he just say, hey, God's knocking on your door. He wants his people. You better let him go to Canaan, or you're getting, you know, nuked from heaven, like, or something like that, like, you know, but instead, why does he use this language? And of course, when Pharaoh hears this, he's just like, what in the world kind of nonsense is this? What do you mean? And, and so then what Moses says again, what he says is a completely different story. If you look at it, he says, um, well, actually, um, our God, and this time he doesn't use the name, doesn't make it personal. Our, our God wants us to go make sacrifices to him um, in the wilderness. And if we don't do it, he's going to get mad at us and punish us. And we're scared. So we got to go do this. And it's like, what is Moses? Like, what's he doing? With that, and as I read it and, and prayed through it and, and read some, you know, some Jewish commentary on that, what I realized was this was like so merciful um, on the part of God and Moses to, to approach it this way. This Moses's first pitch was he was trying to communicate to Pharaoh something that was just really radical. Mm. Like you as Pharaoh, here you are, a, a semi-divine being in the eyes of the Egyptians, a literal you know, a embodiment, a son of, of the gods and, and their rep divine representative on earth. And, and you have this, this idea of the gods as these just like powerful, dangerous, scary beings that are so you know, far removed from us. But our God, we're on a first, we're like family with him. 
and, and he wants to just go out on camping trips with us and, and celebrate with us and have fun with us. He's a God of intimacy. It was Moses' way of trying to communicate to Pharaoh that our God isn't just one more God out there mm-hmm. that we have that seems foreign to you. He's special. He's unique. He's holy. He's holy. And I think the invitation was in that first statement that if this sounds good for you, how would you like to come with us? Mm. Wouldn't that be fun? Maybe you could join us. But Pharaoh doesn't get it. So then Moses speaks in language Pharaoh understands. Our God's mad and who knows what he'll do and he'll punish us and we got to sacrifice. He just speaks in Pharaoh's language because mm. Pharaoh can't, he just can't even, he has no grid for the, the, the with mercy, the grace, the, the, the love, the faithfulness, like everything about Yahweh that makes him so good. There is no God on earth like that. There is no power. There's no ruler. There's nothing. There's no one you're going to find like our God. Mm. And that's the beauty of it. Like when we talk about like, oh, you got to submit to him. You got to take him as Lord. You can't just come in and say, well, I want out of of the fire. So, so yes, you know, because he's coming to be a dictator. But this is the beauty of it. Like, he is like the best dictator ever. Yes. Like you talk about benevolent dictators, right? Um, a, a, an eternal king. Judge. And judge and all of that who is so for you. Yes. So, so desperate to set you free from, from everything that, that has you tied down in bondage, everything that, that, that's wounding you, every, everything that, that you've been carrying your whole life. He wants to set you free from that so bad. He wants to rescue you from your worst self. And and he wants it so bad, he was willing to come here, suffer, bleed, and die on a cross just to open the door for you to come and just be showered, not just with like physical riches or, you know, eternal delights in heaven someday, but literally to make you his inheritor. Mm to adopt you as his child. Like, think about that for a moment. Mm. The king, the God, the creator of the whole universe and everything in it wants each one of you, wants to adopt you as his child Mm. and say, my my son, my daughter, all that I have is yours. Mm. Let's go have dinner. (laughs) That's our God. It's you and Galen. That's good news. That's good news. But... The package deal is you've got to be willing to say you are the king. That's all right. That's right. And I'm not. So good. I always say that the, that the, you know, Jesus was crucified. Like the, the actual legal reason he was crucified was because he was a false king. But the truth is he is the only true king. And we all deserve to be on that cross because we've all tried to make ourselves kings. That's right and queens of our own lives. That's exactly we are the false, we were the false ones. But he died, an innocent one, to make us kings and queens in his kingdom, a royal priesthood. So good. Pray for us in this restoration of the gospel of the kingdom in our heart and understand the good and the power of it. Mm. Oh, Abba, holy father, you just, you blow us away. Mm with how good you are, Lord. And forgive us that we, 
Like we, we sing it and, and we read about it in your, in your scriptures. But it's so easy for us to then go out from here and just live our lives and forget how amazing, how holy, how gloriously good you are. We should spend every, every moment of every day just simply praising you out loud and under our breath for how holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, God Almighty. And so, Father, we just, we, we just want to recommit ourselves again mm. to your lordship. Jesus, Yeshua, yes. you are Lord yes. now and forevermore. Yeah. And we choose to bow our knee now in advance mm. of your second coming. Yeah. When you will come to judge the earth and evaluate how the investment, the deposit of the very spirit, the very presence of God in us, how we spent that. Lord, help us to to be wise and how we burn our days. And Lord, help us open our our mouths to proclaim the euangelion, the good news of your kingdom, that you are king, that you do reign, despite what all the lying voices of this earth want to, the nation, why did the nations rage? We already know. Mm. And we already know where that's going mm. in Psalm 2. And so, Lord, let us, let us preach the gospel now and always by word, by deed, God, how we treat our, our coworkers, our employees, our neighbors, and especially how we treat uh, those who don't like us, those who speak out against us, those who criticize us, those who persecute us, God. Let us love them with the same love you first loved us and make intercession before you for each one of them, God. May this family, this kingdom continue to break out and break in all over the earth for your glory, Jesus. Mm. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good. Bless you. Thanks, buddy.